And what ended up happening as a result of that was I just started peeing people off. Everybody was like, you're really defeatist, you're really alarmist, you're um, riling us up, there's nothing going to happen to the dollar, you're, un- you're, in a, you're un- under illusions, you're deluded. Yeah, I got a right. lot of this, I got a lot of this kind of stuff. You go into something with a certain expectation, thinking it's going to be like this or like that. The dollar's about to crash, the economy's about to change, We're about, we are about to have a revolution, we are about to walk into a multipolar world, South Africa's going to be a large part of that right things are about to change we are probably going to get a cultural shift in how men feel about themselves as well because men are so emasculated right now they're so castrated right now they're about to get their their masculinity back on on some level right when i was writing all these posts on facebook and i'm constantly writing these posts and stuff constantly talking about these things you expect the muslims that would would understand that the best and they were the ones that were resisting it the most the whole function of Inflation is based on the fact that the money is <laughs> is at interest. So they raise the interest rate and they lower the interest rate. They increase the amount of money in circulation. They decrease the amount of circulation. But it's all a function of interest. It's all a function of usury. It's a function of riba. My two guiding principles are that the conversations are spontaneous and authentic. So as long as what we're talking about is authentic and it's a spontaneous, it's not, it's not scripted. We're not going in a certain direction. We let the conversation guide us, you know, and even the fact that I'm here now sitting, having this conversation with you, I mean, it's been something that's been happening for a long time. Like so many people have mentioned your name right back to when you interviewed Sheikh Omar because oh, when you right. did that I just I think I just moved out of Sheikh Abdulkader's house right. and I went for lunch and he uh, he was mentioning you have to watch this video it's very important to watch this video and I think he put it up oh. on his website as well yeah he put um, it up on his YouTube yeah I did I did meet him I met him uh, September of I think it was September of 2017 so I, I met him for about an hour Check up the card. Well, in France or in yeah, South in Africa? Paris. So I know he, he went to uh, he went to Paris and then he and then he stayed a, a while and then he went back. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. in that in that little window, um, that's when I met him. Amazing, amazing. How was your meeting? Yeah, phenomenal. Well, yeah. actually, um, the act- the actual meeting itself at the time, and I don't, I, I obviously, I don't intend disrespect when I say this. So it'll make sense in a second. Mm. The meeting itself was quite underwhelming at the time, right? Uh, because you know he had been really built up as a persona and everything. But afterwards, like when I got back to the apartment, and then the, you know that you start to feel there's like a, an inward beauty you feel, and you feel clean, and mm. you know, and then the things that he said, and they start to affect you. So that's when you start to understand this is a man of Allah. At, at the time, it, it doesn't hit you straight away, and so mm. a couple of people had said to me that that's usually how it goes. It, it just, the meeting itself, it, you know, it, it's afterwards the effect it has on you afterwards. And even with um, Sheikh Omar, it was a little. It was quite similar. With, even when I met him as well, right? Well, I think it's also it's like that with. It's like that with everything that you have an expectation about. You go into something with a certain expectation, thinking it's going to yeah. be like this or like that, yeah. and then you're like, "Oh, yeah. it wasn't like that." But you're not maybe not aware of what's actually happening. So yeah. tell me, are you a life coach? I uh, know. Um, I have experience in. Um, I do have some experience in. I'm, I, I am qualified somewhat in um, like trauma healing, those kind of things. So I can do. I can help people with trauma healing. I've done a lot for myself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the work that I was actually doing was actually business strategy. So it was just looking at businesses, small businesses only. Um, okay. So I, I don't do like corporate. I don't do corporate big business. Uh, I don't even do big startups. I was just doing this. I was doing small everyday businesses. Uh, part of that does require you to coach the founder, just helping them kind of overcome their, um, their uh, you know, the doubts and their fears and all that yeah, kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But it, but it's it's mostly conversational. It's not like it's not like a structured kind of mm. uh, approach. There's no kind of like whole kind of uh, you know life coaching kind of structure or anything to it. Mostly, mm. it was just um, finding ways to help their business. Um, yeah. Right. So. 
Well, what are you doing? Are you doing this full time, or do you do something else? Or <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, this I was is... written. This... That was written quite a while ago. Sheikh Abdul Qadir's read that book, by the way. Well, you know what's really interesting is I am ninety-five percent sure that this is Sheikh Abdul Qadir's copy. Really, I am. It might be. I'm not a hundred percent sure because I think he gave it to my brother. Right. And I had a box of books that my brother had left when he when he left Cape Town. Right. And now, because I, I, I did give him. Is there? Is it signed? Because I gave him a signed copy as well, on the first page. If you see it on the first page. No, but did you give okay, him more so than he's one kept, copy? He's kept the signed one and then given this one. That's interesting. Did you give him a number of copies? No, so what happened was um, I took the book with me when I was there. Um, mm. I didn't. I didn't know he even knew about my book. I didn't. Uh, and then uh, he. Uh, he must have found out about my book about three days earlier. And by the time I got there, he'd already read the book b before I'd even got there. Mm. That's how quickly he read it. Oh, and yeah. I walked in and I, I presented him a copy, and my book was already on the table. So <laughs> master move. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this. Yeah. Yeah, I, this was in a box of books that my brother had left in his apartment. So when I went to just clear everything right. out, I took all the books. Okay. And they've just been right. sitting in my storeroom for oh. however long. Now, your mm. name's come up a number of times. Dr. Humeira mentioned you. Jawad mentioned you a number of times. Abriz mentioned you. Uh, Abriz was here yesterday. Oh, is it? Uh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um and who else mentioned a couple of people and then I posted that video online and then you reposted it and I'm like oh yeah that guy then I'm then I'm like moving house packing all these boxes whatever and sorting out all the books on my shelf shelves and this book turned up and I'm like ah oh, Malik again this guy you know, he's, chasing, he's like chasing me from the unseen so I'm like okay let me just reach out to you and okay. here we are and it's interesting that it's happening at the same time as all of these kind of other things that are happening in the world, in my life, in my curiosity, um, in particular, this recent BBC interview with um, Andrew Tate. And there's just a lot of things that are kind of moving in the background, which I think are very much in line with kind of the subject matter that we're talking about. Plus, I had an interest, very interesting conversation with Sheikh Omar, and I was just, I, I was asking I did listen him. to that one. That was about a year ago, wasn't it? No, no, no. I'm talking about like a personal conversation oh, okay. that I, I just oh, phoned right. him last week because I had this question on my mind and I was like, mm. you know, and I was like, and I was like, Sheikh Omar, let me phone Sheikh Omar. And I had a long conversation with him and he answered the, quest, the, the specific question in detail. And then what came out of it is, is that he was saying, you've got to be a voice piece for... I mean, he used the word, the kind of economic revolution. Mm. And I don't really like the term revolution because I think it's a bit too heated. But he was basically talking about the young people today. They want to know about inflation. They want to know about these things. Mm. They want they're, 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 you know, they're not rigid in their ways. They're, they've, mm. in, they're involved in cryptocurrencies. They're involved in different means of transactions, you know. And so he mentioned that thing and that was... You know, that sparked my curiosity and I'm like, okay, yes, I want to go down that route of money and talk to, you know, the, well, I mean, the, the that's generation. literally what I'm doing here. The, the my, my idea was money, masculinity and medicine. I wanted to talk about those three things. Okay. I've ended up, so far, I've ended up only talking about, near enough only talking about money so far. I've not even had a chance to have a conversation about masculinity or have a conversation about... Uh, medicine. I've had a couple of guests that have come in. A breeze actually came in and spoke about masculinity yesterday. It was an incidental conversation. Mm. So I think that was the first time we've kind of had that conversation about masculinity yesterday. Um, and that won't be out for a month. And then medicine, I've had one doctor come in and speak about medicine. But I haven't had a chance to do my own commentary on medicine. So the, right. the way that I started was um, uh, when, when the pandemic started, um, the kind of like two, three years before the pandemic started, for me, it was a lot of learning. It was just learning about Muhammad learning about Girard, learning about um, inflation and the dinar and the dirham and the riba and the fractional reserve banking. Mm. And it was just, it was kind of all kind of in hibernation, you could say, like all underground kind of just learning. 
And then I remember the, the, the week the pandemic hit, as in when, the week we went into lockdown, mm. um, I spoke to Sheikh Omar on, uh, on the phone. And I'm telling you, like when he spoke to me on the phone, it was like a blue bolt of lightning went through my body. Mm. Like it, I, it, that's how it felt, like a physical bolt of lightning is what it felt like. And he was like, talk to the people, teach the people, tell them the things, tell them what they need to know, mention the name of Allah, talk to the people. He kept saying that to me. And uh, he was saying it, and it was very inspiring, but I didn't know what to do with that information. Mm. Uh, and then I think about a day later, I actually started writing a series of posts on Facebook right. talking about, okay, you know, the inf inflation's coming and the world is changing and this is happening and that's happening and all these other things. And what ended up happening as a result of that was I just started peeing people off. Everybody was like, you're really defeatist, you're really alarmist, you're um, riling us up, there's nothing going to happen to the dollar, you're, un you're, in a, you're un under illusions, you're deluded. Yeah, I got right. a lot of this. I got a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, and then I think I'd, I'd, I probably did it for like maybe about a year or so. And then I started slowing down and then I moved house and then I had a kid and all this. I just got kind of busy with all those things. And then about three years, I would say in the last, I would say at the beginning of this year, I started getting these voices coming back to me and saying, people saying to me, oh, you know, uh, do you know if the dollar crashes, what do you th which currency do you think will be more dominant? Um, do you think that if we really work really, really hard, um, do you think that um, uh, do, do you think that that's not going to have any effect on, on our business because the economy is crashing, you know? So all the things that I've been saying three years ago, Finally, now people were starting to have those realizations, but it's right. taken three years. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, you know what? Now it's time to, to kind of go a bit all out and let's just, it's time for me. I can now kind of speak a bit more openly and let's just get this out there now. That's how it basically came about. Who do you want to speak to in particular? Um, I if think you're at the moment I'm really speaking to the Muslims really. Yeah. Uh, but if there's other, but you know, if there's other people that aren't Muslims that kind of want to benefit from them, then fine. That's kind of how I'm doing it. Things at the no, moment. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, 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 I speak. I'm. I've never been shy about speaking about the dean, even at school. Mm. So, like, I was at right. an all boys boarding school in Scotland. Oh, okay. I was the only Muslim kid in my year. I think there were three Muslim boys in the entire school. That sounds similar to my experience. I was six Muslim kids in the entire school, of which there were maybe four, three or four boys. Right, and I would pray in the in the in the um, the common room. Wow! And it was actually quite cool because, like, I mean, we were always with each other, you know, like day in day out boarding school, mm -hmm. right? And so after, like, once I was in like the middle school, I would pray in the common room. And people would like come running in shouting whatever and they'd be like oh no no shh, shh, abdallah's praying just oh, wait, till, wow. wait till he's finished and it was just like wow. it was part of life it was like oh yeah mm. and i remember once my house <laughs> i was i was at my desk or behind my desk and i was doing the prayer and my housemaster walks in and starts talking to me and <laughs> obviously i'm doing the prayer so i'm not replying to him and he was getting so angry like really wow. really angry like shouting at me Abdallah, speak to me, otherwise, detention, whatever. <laughs> and I was just like, just continuing doing my prayer, completely ignoring him, obviously. And then I came yeah, to Yeah, to be honest, I've not been that confident. Um, I, I, did, I did get a job, when I got a job, um, IT job, they used to let me pray in the server room. So they used to be like, they just, I'd go into this room and just be full of servers that run the entire network for like 800 staff. Oh. And I would go and pray in there. And sometimes they'd walk in and then go, oh, sorry. You know, somebody to walk in to come and check a server or something, yeah. but they were quite good about it. But I didn't, I didn't like praying in front of them. I had a friend who who who's got a very successful startup in the U.S. Mm. and we, we and him, we'd have like these kind of catch-up kind of accountability accountability meetings together, like once a week, like a mastermind kind of thing, when mm. it was all kind of in fashion. And then I'd kind of take a break about halfway because it'd be like Maghrib time or something and go and pray under the stairs. And he would say to me, can I come and watch? Can I come and watch you pray? <laughs> he was always quite fascinated with that. And I remember like when I was when I had a job in Cambridge, I was like fasting and then it did kind of help facilitate the fast and all that. And, yeah. But I haven't, I've not been that confident to kind of just pray anyway. I've got friends, they will just, you know, stop and pray on the road yeah. uh, or like go to some conference and just go and pray by the side. I'm, I get more nervous about those kind of things. I get quite nervous about what the mm. response is going to be and things but i definitely admire people that can just stop and pray anywhere definitely well for me it was never really uh i think just the way i was raised 
like my parents were not strict at all they gave us right. a lot mm. of flexibility to do whatever we wanted to do mm. but in my household mm. like doing the prayer was a big deal it's like you did the prayer mm. do whatever else just make sure you do the prayer like because that's yeah. followed you know yeah, that's yeah. part that's mm. And I don't know, I just guess the way I was raised, I was never afraid to do the prayer. Never, I didn't care what anybody else thought no, either. Good. It was just like, I'm Muslim. Mm. I, yeah. Maybe it's also got yeah. to do with the fact that my father's my father became Muslim. So my, mm. my father's side of the family, I mean, that's white English. Mm. And, you know, I did the prayer at my grandmother's house, no problem, you know. So maybe it's also got to do with that. That like, I yeah, was you get you, you, but like you're not getting a re reaction, so you kind of just get comfortable with it. I mean, right. I, I was, I you know, I was read culturally, culturally religious, you know. Mm. So it's Pakistani household, and you actually get criticized for praying. I remember going to Pakistan when I was like, uh, how old was I? Twenty, oh, I can't remember. Twenty-one, twenty-two. And just getting nothing but criticism. Oh, he prays. Oh, he's got a beard. Why does he do that? Why does he pray? You know, it's like wow. a, it's such a big deal. Like it's it's so backward in that way. <laughs> and then even like I even like when I I remember when I was working in my dad's computer shop, and then on a uh, you know I'd be the customers would come in, and I'd be working in the back room building PCs, and then I'd be praying in there because I'd take a break to pray, and my dad would get embarrassed, and then he wouldn't know what to say to the customers. So I've kind of just absorbed all the embarrassment mm. around it. You know, it, I think your environment does make a big difference. Oh, massively, um, massively. But yeah, yeah, yeah no. I was just yeah. thinking about it because I never, yeah, it was never really a, like doing it to be religious or something. It was just like it was instilled in me from yeah. You kid. just do it because you want to do it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. I remember, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, alhamdulillah, I have to say, it's been a big blessing because I lots of my friends, you know, guys that would pray when they were young and then they went through a period where they didn't pray or yeah. whatever. Like for me, even through like my wild days and everything, that was the one thing I always held to is always you, oh, you pray five times a day and you fast mm -hmm. Ramadan. You yeah, know? Yeah. Like whatever else you're going to do, whatever other nonsense you're catching on. Yeah. like Make sure you do that still. Make sure you, yeah. you don't go 24 hours without catching up. I mean, even if you're going you're gonna to miss your prayers or whatever, just like, and that's something I've always held to. And, and alhamdulillah, yeah. you know. It makes a big difference to your life, I think. Yeah, and I'm 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 very grateful to my parents for having you know put that into, having mm. put that into me, and mm. may I put that into my children, inshallah. Mm. So good. yeah, man. But that's on that subject. But yeah, no, that was just I was just wanted to ask you like on that um, subject of whether we paint this in a Muslim no, light or keep it's it neutral. Fine. Just kind of keep it keep it because out. Just let it just flow naturally. Everything that I'm talking about in my course. I have I have not talked about it through the lens of Islam, but yeah. it's all the deen. I mean, you know, the, the the thing for me, right, is like I'll tell you, like I I did a I did a um, a YouTube video and then I took a snippet of it, right, mm -hmm. and I take snippets of those and I put them on Instagram and I put them on TikTok, and in one of those snippets, I actually said um, I can't remember what I was talking about, but I I, I, I said something to do with like. Um, I can't remember what the specific video was about, but it's something to do with like, even the Islamic banks are, are contributing to inflation. Even the, I think it was to do with fractional reserve banking, and that even Islamic uh, Islamic banks actually practices um, uh, actually practice uh, fractional reserve banking, which then just make the, effectively makes them haram, right? So it was a little snippet that was basically explaining that. And the the the, the interesting thing was, out of all the comments that I got, because I've got on TikTok, I've got non-Muslim and Muslim followers, right? argue with me about stuff you get some really nasty comments you argue with me about stuff yeah. and um the only person that actually criticized the video was a muslim guy yeah and that yeah. that was that that's the thing that i constantly get with the community is that it actually the the people that res the, the dollar is about to crash the economy is about to change. We're about. We are about to have a revolution. We are about to walk into a multipolar world. South Africa is going to be a large part of that, right? Things are about to change. We are probably going to get a cultural shift in how men feel about themselves, as well, because men are so emasculated right now. They're so castrated right now. They're about to get their their masculinity back on on some level, right? But the people and, and when I was writing all these posts on Facebook, and I'm constantly writing these posts and stuff. Constantly talking about these things, you expect the Muslims that would would understand that the best, and they were the ones that were resisting it the most. Mm. Actually, non-Muslims resist this stuff less than Muslims do.
Now, I've got a question for you. <clears throat> Is Islamic banking as a term not an oxymoron? It is. It absolutely is. There's no such thing as Islamic banking. But that's my whole do, position. You can't, say, you can't say, right, well, actually, what we're going to do is you put the money in the bank and we're going to steal that money and we're going to go and put it somewhere else or we're going to perform legalized theft. And actually, what we're going to do is we're going to contribute to inflation, directly contribute to it. We're going to give you the tools. We're going to give you the thing that's actually going to make you contribute to inflation directly. So we're going to make your life a lot harder long term. We're going to make it impossible for your children to buy a house. But what we're doing is Islamic. There's no such thing. Well, my thing is, is that if you go back before even Islamic banking, right, and the term Islamic banking, which I do believe is a complete oxymoron, if you want to call it the best thing that you can possibly do in the current situation as Muslims with your banking, Okay, but if you're going to brand it it's as not, Islamic, you cannot brand it Islamic simply because and before you even go into the, the workings of it, the money which you are using to transact in your Islamic banking is haram. Because if you go right back to it, the money itself is haram. Why? Because the money is not even, it's not, it's not that it's not worth anything. It's that all currency today, whether you're in America and using the dollar, you're in South Africa and using the rand, you're in Europe using the euro, you're in the United Kingdom using the pound, you're in the Emirates using the Emirati dirham, the, the way that money is structured today is firstly based on fractional reserve banking, but secondly, it's not even a debt, it's the deficit of a debt denominated into your piece of paper mm. yeah, which you're chasing exactly. after so the money itself is at interest and people yeah. you know I, I say this to people and people are like no that can't be that it doesn't make sense blah 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 and i'm like okay well then why when you look at the news and you're feeling the the, the pain of inflation right why is it on the news that all the economists are talking about the interest rate because the money, the, the whole function of inflation is based on the fact that the money is, <laughs> is at interest. Mm. So they raise the interest rate and they lower the interest rate. They increase the amount of money in circulation. They decrease the amount of circulation. But it's all a function of interest. It's all a function of usury. It's a function of riba. Before we continue on this video, I just want to invite you to my Discord community. Look, the world has changed and it is changing still. And on my Discord, which is a simple mobile app that you can use, you can stay in touch with other like-minded people like me who are staying informed of the things that are happening around the world that are going to affect our daily lives very, very soon. So come and join me on my Discord community and let's grow together and let's navigate this changing world order together. Which makes the money itself haram. Now, if you go back to Imam Malik, Rahimallah, who was a great legalist of the second or third generation after the Prophet and he said that usury riba is forbidden down to a blade of grass yeah. so if there's a blade of grass of increase and a blade of grass is worth nothing but if there's a blade of grass of increase in the transaction then it is riba it is haram now our money system is well beyond the blade of grass and it doesn't yeah, matter where you are in the world. Well, I don't, I don't want to get onto crypto yet. <laughs> it's even worse. Way, way, way worse. Hmm. You know, that, this is the world that we're living in. But th this, this is the thing. Like, it's, you will find that you can have this conversation. That even this conversation, you will find it easier to have this conversation with a non-Muslim than with a Muslim. That's been my experience constantly for the last few years. Right now, I was having a conversation with my cousin the other night, just over the phone, because I wanted to, like, you know, he's a successful, uh, how do I put it? I mean, he, he's, he's a pharmaceutical salesman, right? right? He moves across the country selling pharmaceuticals to doctors. He's very good at it. He makes a lot of money. He lives a very comfortable life, so to speak. Drives a nice car, has a beautiful house, beautiful wife lovely daughter, you know, 
Alhamdulillah, mashallah. It's really all going on, basically. You know, I'm very happy for him. I love him, you know, and he's doing very well. And I'm having a conversation with him, and I was just chatting to him. I was like, you know, somebody, you know, I'm talking to your... I said to him straight, I said, you are my target audience. You know, young Muslim man, married, got a kid. What do you want to hear about? And he said to me, he said, you know what? We had a long conversation at the end of it. It came, it, it came to the point where he said, you know, today, you're born, you go out to school to get an education, right? If you, and he even said, if you can even call that an education, right? At school, you know, the British state school system, so that you can go to university and get a degree so you can get a job. But with your degree, you're also getting a massive student loan. So as soon as you're coming out to university, you're already in debt. So you have to get a job. Right, so you have mm. to get a job to start paying back your your student loan, mm. right? At interest. Mm. Now you get your job, you're doing okay, you're paying off your instalments, whatever, whatever. You know, now you meet the the lady of your life, cool, mm. right? Now you get married. Now you've got a kid. So not only yeah, do you no, need wait, a house, wait, wait. The, the, you first you need to pay for the wedding. If you're an Asian, Asian, uh, yeah, of course, right? Twenty, thirty, forty k for the wedding first. Yeah, of course. And if you don't, then you've got the backlash of the family and whatnot, and that's yeah. imp that's impossible, and, and that, right? That costs a huge amount of money. You know, weddings are costing. They used to cost about twenty k. They're now costing forty to sixty k in pounds. So about hundred k right. in dollars. Stupid money. <laughs> Stupid right money. so you've taken out a loan now to pay for your wedding which you've got to pay yeah. off so you're starting your yeah. married life already on the back foot with them with a double debt also your wife's most likely she's also got her student loan that she's still paying yeah. off yeah and then you pay for the honeymoon with your credit card right now you've got to take a credit yeah. card which is all at interest yeah. right yeah and, and now you, you your entire house out with right, on but, finance right down to the mattress i know people who've got even their mattresses on finance right and then he, so he's going through this thing and he's telling me all of this. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And now, now you've got some kids. Now you've got to pay yeah. for nappies. Now you've got mm -hmm. to get a bigger house. Now you need a mortgage. Yeah. Now you need a second car, you more car, fin yeah. another yeah. car finance, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Then you, you spend your life accumulating things mm. in order to give your children the best yeah. that you can give them, which is in itself noble. Mm. And then you mm. die. And the state takes fifty mm. percent. Mm. You know, and I'm like, how can you Crazy tell life. me? Right now, if you take that example, which is the status quo, that is the way it is for most people today, right? Unless you you hit it, you smash it, and you make a yeah massive amount of money, and you can clear your debts. Yeah. Which the reality is, even if you make a massive amount of money, you're just going to leverage yourself to a bigger degree. You know, now you're taking out instead of car finance, you're taking out boat finance and plane finance, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and taking a mortgage on a palace rather than a, 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 an yeah. apartment. Because the, the habit is finance. <laughs> the habit is everything in a, in a, in a, in a debt-driven way. It's a debt-driven economy. That's the problem. Right. Now, if you are participating in that, you cannot tell me that you're not a slave. Because you are a slave yeah, I mean, this, to this the financier. The that I'm having with everybody. This is the exact argument that I'm having. Like, so you you contrast that to the, the the example of the life that you've given up today. You contrast that and go back a hundred years. So go back to something like 1908. In 1908, you had a guy who would do a, 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 a and this is not to put anybody down, but would do a basic job. So he would just do an everyday kind of a job, right? Mm. So maybe he's, a, maybe he's a shopkeeper or maybe he's a, um, a lumberjack or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a low pay, low, like a, it's just an average, um, uh, average wage kind of, you know, a minimum wage kind of job, right? Yeah. On that salary, one guy would be able to, he'd work two and a half days a week, right? So Monday through till maybe maybe midday Wednesday, and then Thursday he would probably do stuff around the house, fix the house up and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> and then Friday he would probably like you know do grocery shopping, and then uh, Saturday he would spend a day with his kids and take them to the park and everything, and then Sunday he would um, uh, give, give that to the church. Right, he's yeah. only working two and a half days a week, and on that single salary of minimum wage, he could raise six children. And look after his ailing parents all in the same house. Yeah. You contrast that today to what you're saying today. One guy, not even on a forget a minimum wage, a guy on a decent salary, like a pharmaceutical rep, a sales guy, an investment banker, or whatever, earning 50, 60k a year, 
He can't even look, afford to look after himself in an apartment, let alone a wife and a kid. Well, this it's is what you see, this is. Can. Now you've gone back to 1908. Personally, yeah. I can go back to my grandfather, and my grandfather yeah. bought. I mean, I can uh, go back to my granddad as well. Do you know what I mean? And he's like, you don't even have to go that far back. But if you look, let's just take the example of my nana. You know, my mother's yeah. father. He bought a house in, I think it was St John's Wood. It was like one of those really central parts of London, right, in the nineteen sixties. And then he decided to move to Leeds. So he left. He yeah. sold his house in London, and he moved to Leeds. Right now, my grandfather came. You know, it's the famous story. I came to this country with five pounds. Yeah. You know, and he did. He literally did. Yeah. You know, he came here with nothing, and he built himself up. And in a few, in like, yeah. from you a got very to work like, hard, you got to have a hunger. You just yeah. work hard, and everything Allah opened door for you. Yeah, but it, yeah. it's it's true, you know. And yeah. he did work hard. And in five, seven years, he could buy a house in central London back then. Yeah. Right. Now that's impossible. It doesn't matter. How, I, not when, impossible, when but you, from from a from a like a, a a government job, you cannot buy a house in central London. <laughs> when I was nineteen years old, right, I was working um, seventy hours a week, and I was studying at the same time. I was doing stupid hours, mm. right. And I was working. I was working so hard. I, when I, by the time I got to twenty-five, I completely burned out. That's how hard I was working, and yeah. I still have nothing to show for it. And you speak to my 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 daddy. So my my dad's mum. She used to say mm. to me. She used to say. Uh, she used to tell me stories all the time. This is when she was well. Unfortunately, she has dementia now. But she used mm. to say to me. She used to go. Um, I remember when I was a kid, like I don't know, maybe like seventeen or eighteen, and she would say, "You know your your you know your dada, your grandfather." He he was a bus conductor and he didn't used to work that much. But I, and he never used to listen to me, so I used to tell him what to do. And she used to say he used to come home and she take half his salary and I used to put it in an envelope. And she goes and then she always used to say to me, just save, always save your money, always save your money. She always used to say to me, just save your money. And she said, I saved the money and uh, within within six months I went and bought this house. And then uh, six months later I bought another house and we we uh, we joined the two houses together. So all you got to do is just save your money. Why don't you do that? Why don't you save your money? And I'm like, yes, grandma, okay. She bought a house for two grand. I could never do that. I no matter how hard I work, I can't even save. You you literally just hand to mouth all the time. You're literally a hamster on a wheel. Which is what I you said. It just this can't is what, be done anymore. So I say to our generation and the young and the and the next generation is like if you look at the trajectory from my grand our grandparents to our parents to us in this situation, you know, and I know you have children, I have children, it's like what what are you what are they going to experience? You know, there's a trajectory, there's a motion of events that's happening. Now, we can take that back three, four hundred years, and you can look at the full picture, which I do unpack in my course, you know, in, in the second section of the course, I do exactly that. I take it all the way back to the 1600s in Europe, mm. and I show how the, how mo the currency that we use today is invented, mm how it came about, who was behind it, how they took control, how they uh, financed the ailing monarchies, how they then, backing the monarchies, then caused all of the infighting in Europe, which eventually led up to the First and Second World Wars, which were massively catastrophic. Right, And then I say that the, the, the final thing, which is that with the first and second world wars what people forget about is that the the like vast majority of europe was destroyed mm. like mm. outwardly Decimated. destroyed you know mm. cities were razed to the ground mm. Mm. who was paying for the construction who was mm. financing the construction and then you mm. take that back and you say who was financing the military machine and if you do your research, you will find that it's the same banking families that were financing the English, that were financing the French, that were financing the Germans, that were financing the Russians, that were financing the same who, thing right now. Right? And this is a trajectory which goes all the way back to the 1600s. And it was those same families that were financing the colonial conquest. It was the yeah. same families that were backing the British East India Company. It was the yeah. same families that were backing the Dutch East India Company. So when you look at all the horrors that happened in India, when you look at all the horrors that happened out in Indonesia and in the Philippines, you look at all the horrors that happened anywhere that there was some colonial expansion. Banking system. 
that's that's my thing. Is who was financing it? Who was who was gaining from this experience? Mm. Yeah, and they deliberately wanted to. They they deliberately wanted to destroy the the, the family unit. I don't think anybody. You know. You know. The 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 um. There's this um. Uh, there's a movie that's on. Uh, you could actually watch it on YouTube about um, uh, Beidu Zaman Said Nursi. He was a scholar. Right, he right. was he was um, he was a well-known scholar at, at right at the end of the Ottoman Empire, the fall of the Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. and he had a, he had this apparently he had this really famous speech that he gave uh, an address into the universities, and then he had this he, you know the state went after him, and he went when um, the Ottoman Empire then became the Turkish Republic, and then Ataturk came in and all this kind of stuff, they really went after him because he he wouldn't do their bidding. So right. they went after him. So you can you can watch this movie on YouTube. Unfortunately, it's quite a bland movie. The way it's been edited and everything, it, you know. Mm. So you, you really have to kind of pluck things from it to understand what's going on. And but at the end of the movie, one of the thing, one of the things that he said is that my my biggest worry for the people that are coming is that uh, you know that the enemy is no longer an uh, an outward um, obvious enemy anymore. It's an intellectual enemy. You know, because that's what I worry for the people that's coming. And the thing is, like, the, you, you, when you look at like. The things that all these people faced in the 11th century, 12th century, 14th century, 16th century, 17th century—they're very physical things, right? Like the Mongolians are coming and they're attacking you with swords and all this kind of stuff. Like a lot of the pain that we're going through now, a lot, a lot of people are under this illusion. Well, we're, we're living much better lives, you know. Those people had famine and those people had um, those people had, uh, you know, uh, malaria and they had, you know, leprosy and the, the, all these things that they had to they had to put up with. We've got hygiene. And we've got um, we've got you know dishwashers and we've got washing machines we've got appliances right we've got we've got cars and we've got planes and all this kind of stuff so say so well we're living much better lives than they are and I say yeah but the 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 man today has no dignity he can't run his own household he's completely you know his psyche's complete psyche's completely broken the man of the 12th century the 13th century he still at least had his dignity you know the man today doesn't have any well I've got a brilliant line. To eat today like a peasant ate in the Middle Ages in England, you have to be a multimillionaire. Yeah. In order I, to I afford organic food, food yep, that has absolutely. all the nutrients in it, yep. chickens that have run around yeah. in the countryside, you know, laying eggs that are actually actually have nutrition in them, you know, mm-hmm. To eat organic vegetables, etc., etc., yeah. you have to yeah. you have to be a millionaire. You look Otherwise, at a you can't afford house. it. You look at a peasant's house from the eighteen nineties, right? The house that he had, a, a, a peasant, I think it was in Germany. There's a picture of it going around somewhere. That a house that a peasant had in eighteen ninety. You compare that to somebody who's absolutely loaded today, and that house is way more impressive. Way <laughs> so much more land, so much more room, so much yeah. character. And then what we get now is a little box. just doesn't compare with the, the thing is it's like we're 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 castrated we're emasculated we're broken but we don't even we can't even connect the dots we don't even know we are broken almost because like another there's, there's another uh control mechanism which i touched yeah, on when it, talking about my so cousin like it's 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 all abstracted away so, so you can't even put you can't even put your finger on it you can't say, "Oh, this is the thing that's ruining my life," or "This is the thing that's yes, destroying my family." This is. The, yes, you yeah, can. I mean, we can. I'm saying. I'm saying. Well, let's say the it. Populace, the, well, yeah, the populace the needs system. to. It's not the banking system. It's the practice of usury, which the banking system yeah. does. Yeah. Does yeah. you know yeah. they? Th- that is the it's backbone riba. of their thing. But it's riba, and the Muslims have somehow yeah, forgotten riba. that, because some yeah, alims that were paid a lot of money said that no here this is sharia compliant boom there stamp fatwa yeah. you know yeah but you know we but the thing is that we're conditioned to think oh the the reason why that the psyche is struggling today is because there's a there's a supply chain crisis or there's a there's a job crisis or there's a climate disaster or there's all these 100 other things the reality is the root cause of it all is riba it's all riba and i, I and riba, i yeah. i actually put it out there into the world and I'm actually going to do a live thing. I don't know when, but I'll just do it on Instagram or something, you know, and just go live and say, tell me any problem with the world today. And I will show you, and I will show you how it comes from river. You, you can know? trace every, every, every societal ill. You can trace it back to river. Right. Everyone, everyone, you can trace it back. 
it's like that and and somehow because the ribbery nature of the system has infiltrated i mean you touching on the subject of healthcare you know it's infiltrated healthcare it's infiltrated education it's infiltrated how we conduct our businesses it's infiltrated politics it's infiltrated every single function of society and so you yeah. can't avoid it but everything is based on this system which is unnatural you know and i always go back to the great american italian poet ezra pound he wasn't muslim mm. right but he understood the world that he was in and in the 1930s he defined rib well he defined usury as contra naturum against nature and it's been this thing that's been playing on my mind for a long time and and as i was preparing the stuff for my course i was like how can i show that usury is against nature what is it about usury which is against nature and so i did a little bit of my own personal research on it and then like the kind of the answer just like you know through came straight in my face and it's that nature is balanced nature maintains equilibrium if you read these books on rewilding if you just leave a plot of land and you don't touch it you don't farm it you don't do anything you just leave it then what you find is that everything returns back to equilibrium and the trees grow better the plants grow better there's more animals there a deer will die and some and that will bring you know mm. wolves or dogs or or, or car you know uh, birds of prey or whatever it is to eat the carrion that's left behind and then that's going to create maggots and the maggots are going to go into the earth and that's going to bring more bugs and more things which the other animals can eat and it keeps going like that. And so what happens yeah, over the time? The National Park example, isn't it? That's the one that I always example. use with the wolves, exactly. Yeah. Like well, that's, it, that's an interesting yeah. subject. You see, that one's very interesting on the subject of masculinity because the wolves, they're not uh well, The wolves are seen as the villain, but they're actually, they're actually, happening, they're actually helping the ecosystem. But you can't see that. And with it, this is what's taking place in society today. Any, any real, anybody who shows any real masculinity in society today is uh, spoken about like a wolf. Well, I, my position is that what is needed today is the reintroduction of wolfman back into society. What is your and definition of be... wolfman? I, I, I want well, to know. Because people have this conversation about like what is, I, I mean, I don't know what the definition of masculinity is. I know what masculinity isn't, but I, I couldn't, if you asked me for a definition, I couldn't say this is what masculinity is. But when I, when I, see, the, when I see what masculinity isn't, that I can point out. Well, I'm going to use an example, right? Which is, there's two points here. One, today, what you find is the use of Machiavellian principles from the prince. Okay. And the use of Sun Tzu's art of war. Okay. And all of these kind of ideas. If you look at Robert Greene and his 48 laws of power, etc., etc., or his 30 strategies of war, and you name it. It's using all of this war terminology and study and strategy, which is great. Don't get me wrong and transposing it onto the boardroom now, in the boardroom the boardroom right yeah yeah do you right. agree so, with that so what you well i i agree that it works for your your the 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 kind of strategic um functioning of high capitalism and corporations yeah. and i think the strategies can natural. be tra transposed but for me, it's not even that it's not natural, is that the, what is the key element of war? And the key element of war comes back to a philosophical thing, which is man facing his death. Mm. And a man that has faced his death is not the same as a man that hasn't faced it. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not calling for people to go out to war and to, you know, I'm not saying that I want, I wish it on on men to go out there into war and face their death you know that's not what i'm saying but i'm saying that historically m the highest aspiration of man was to be this noble warrior mm. you know the greatest noble warrior and nowadays the aspiration is to be the richest businessman yeah and those things aren't the same no absolutely not and they don't, they're, they're you know don't because really the richest businessman hasn't had to face mm. that that fear 
that is innate or is part of man, which is the fear of your annihilation, the fear you, of your you, death, you the must fear know of about, what's on the other side. You must know about like the the, the what they call the male initiation, um, uh, 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 male, the culture of male initiation in like ancient civilizations, where they would like you know like in that movie like in three hundred they send the kid out and he has to you know he's like I don't know he's about to come of age. They always say you know when he starts once he starts taking interest in women when he starts to come of age and then you send him out into the wilderness at night. And he has to he has to face the wolf by himself, and he either come you know he either comes back a man or he or he doesn't come back at all because he's dead, you know it's one or the other. Um, you, there are a lot but of civilizations. The, the uh, well, the other part of that, in, and this is like an extreme example, right? But in Sparta, when a child was born, it would be presented to the elders of the Spartan community, and they would look at it. And they check it out, and they say, "Okay, his legs are straight. His his mm. body's fine. Mm. It's like it looks healthy. It's a healthy baby. Okay, it's fine. You know, boom." If there was any defects in the child, it was thrown in a in a, it was thrown into a well. Oh wow! It was that. So I mean, look I'm, again. I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying that one should do that. That's not that's not the point. The point is that part of the Spartan culture, because they, in their ethos, it was like they had to be the best yeah. physically. Mm. If there was an inferior mm. child born, yeah. it was killed mm. so that it wouldn't reproduce and it wouldn't, you know, weaken yeah. the genetic coding of the Spartans. Yeah. But I think like the so, thing that you I talk mean, about now is like the, the, what I see in society as well is that the man's, the man's um, uh, status is tied to, you know, it's, it's how much money he has. That's based on how, that's how much respect or dignity he gets. The more money he has, the more respect or dignity he has, right? The more people respect that individual. This guy's loaded. This guy's got the money. He's got the cars and all that kind of stuff. It's a material wealth that gives the man his, um, uh, res you know, place in society these days. Which is why every man is mm. chasing it. But the societies that you're talking about, it was his noble, you know, his nobility and his strength. And this, this thing's called just capitalism has just completely butchered this now. And the thing is, I mean, that's not separate from having wealth yeah of course because many of these yeah. you know many of these princes many of these knights noble warriors etc etc they were also extremely wealthy mm, mm, mm. you know and there's nothing wrong with having no, the no, wealth no, there's nothing not. wrong with having a you know a, a, a bugatti mm. <laughs> you know you know if you yeah, can but afford that's not, it like it's not that's go not for the it. ultimate goal you know what i mean it's not like that's not that does having a bugatti or having a ferrari that's not what makes you the man you know that's what i'm saying it's absolutely like, not yeah you know, and and it, but at the same time, it's become, it's become if you are if you are the guy with the Bugatti, you are the guy with the Ferrari, then you are the man. If you are the guy with the with with the with the businesses or whatever. And the thing is, you know, like in in the work that I've done, I've I've met a lot of businessmen, businessmen and businesswomen. Mm. I've met hundreds, if not thousands, and I've met them in all phases. I've met them in successful phases, unsuccessful phases, right? Doing yeah. well, not doing well. I've I've seen all of it, and <laughs> the. The masculinity aspect of that, and I'm like, yeah, no, it just, you know, it, that doesn't make you more of a man just because your business is more successful. I have seen, I have seen men whose businesses have become successful because they've become better men. I have seen that they've mm. become more humble. Yeah. They've, 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 you know, the, the business has, has shown them a mirror to themselves and everything. That's a different matter. You know, it well, has made somebody who's too. somebody who's very rich. That shows that they're good at making money, but that doesn't show yeah. that they're a great person. And the, and the two things are exclusive, and it's not the same thing. Yeah, most of society, unfortunately, sees that in a very similar way, especially the generation that comes before us. You know, And even this generation, there's a lot of... A guy turns up in a Bugatti immediately commands respect, you know? And a guy who turns up in a Fiat Panda is... But that's nothing, that, that's nothing new. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to ancient times Horse. man rocked up on a certain stallion yeah you know and this is like the, the very best arabian yeah. stallion is like it commands respect mm. i mean i think it's I, i'm not entirely certain but i think it mentions in the quran there's an ayah which talks about horses and horses are for you to ride and as uh, and i think it's, it's horses are to, for you to ride to go into war and for adornment it's something along those lines it's like to beautify you mm. Because there's something in them, you yeah. know, mm. and there's nothing, and I've got absolutely nothing. I, I mean, not that there's nothing wrong with it. I think that, that it's it's part of, that there is a thing that if you do have the wealth, then spend it and spend yeah, it on the best things, 
you yeah. know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I do think there's something wrong with, especially you get it in the Muslim community in certain, um, in certain cultural aspects, which is that you have a lot of money, but you drive a Toyota <laughs> because, oh, you know, humble by humble by. But it's like, no, the Prophet wasallam wore the best clothes, mm. he rode the best horses, mm. and he was the most generous. Mm. He didn't save. Mm. You know, and this is my counter to the to our dear aunties that we love. But, you know, when they say save, 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 mm. Prophet wasallam never went to sleep without yeah. spending everything that he had. And there's lots of stories about Shuyuk, you know, that they, their, their pockets were empty before they'd even got home for the evening. You know, after they've done the madrasa and they've done those things, their pockets are empty. But you try living in that kind of world, you try living in that way in this world today, it's very, it's painful, very painful. Well, the thing is, is you see, this is where the, the, where the, the crossover comes. Because if you believe that you are the one who is providing for your family, if you believe that your work is the thing that's bringing you your rizq and is bringing you your income, if you believe that, then as far as I'm concerned, that's shirk. Mm. Because Allah is the one who's providing for you. And you can spend everything that you have and tomorrow you'll have more. Mm. If you trust and you know with absolute certainty that your Lord is going to look after you. And there's a wonderful thing that I was told. It was that when you were in your mother's stomach, mm. did you worry about mm. where your food came mm. from? No, it came directly into your mm. bloodstream. And then when you were born, did you worry about where your food came from no it came from your mother's breast mm. and then when you got a little bit older and you were running around did you worry where your food was coming from no because you'd sit at the table and mother had prepared something or someone in the family had prepared something for you and you've lived your entire life up until this point in time and you've been fed from before you even came into existence right who do you think was feeding you yeah. right where was that provision coming from do you think Allah's going to stop feeding you now no 